The third part of the prologue of Gleek, the man of the forty faces. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. Gleek, the man of the forty faces by Thomas W. Hanshew. Prologue, part three. Through all the night its best men sought him, its dragnets fished for him, its tentacles groped into every hole and corner of London in quest of him, but sought and fished and groped in vain. They might as well have hoped to find last summer's partridges or last winter's snow as any trace of him. He had vanished as mysteriously as he had appeared, and no royal jewels graced the display of Miss Wyvern's wedding gifts on the morrow. But it was fruitful of other gifts, fruitful of an even greater surprise, that morrow. For the first time since the day he had given his promise, no souvenir from the man who called himself Hamilton Cleek, no part of last night's loot came to Scotland Yard. And it was while the evening papers were making screaming copy and glaring headlines out of this, that the surprise in question came to pass. Miss Wyvern's wedding was over, the day and the bride had gone, and it was half-past ten at night when Sir Horace, answering a hurry call from headquarters, drove post-haste to Superintendent Narkom's private room, and passing in under a red and green lamp which burned over the doorway, entered and met that surprise. Maverick Narkom was there alone, standing beside his desk, with the curtains of his window drawn and pinned together, and at his elbow an unlighted lamp of violet-coloured glass, standing and looking thoughtfully down at something which lay before him. He turned as his visitor entered, and made an open-handed gesture towards it. "'Look here,' he said laconically. "'What do you think of this?' Sir Horace moved forward and looked, then stopped and gave a sort of wondering cry. The electric bulbs overhead struck a glare of light down on the surface of the desk, and there, spread out on the shining oak, lay a part of the royal jewels that had been stolen from Wyvern House last night. Narkom! You got him, then! Got him after all! No, I did not get him. "'I doubt if any man could if he chose not to be found,' said Narkom bitterly. "'I did not recover these jewels by any act of my own. "'He sent them to me, gave them up voluntarily.' "'Gave them up? After he had risked so much to get them? "'God bless my soul! What a man!' "'Why, there must be quite half here of what he took.' "'There is half, an even half. "'He sent them to-night, and with them this letter. "'Look at it, and you will understand why I sent for you "'and asked for you to come alone.' "'There's some good in even the devil, I suppose, "'if one but knows how to reach it and stir it up.' "'Sir Horace read, "'I have lived a life of crime from my very boyhood because I couldn't help it, because it appealed to me, because I glory in risks and revel in dangers. 
I never knew where it would lead me. I never thought, never cared. But I looked into the gateway of heaven last night, and I can't go down the path to hell any longer. Here is an even half of Miss Wyvern's jewels. If you and her father would have me hand over the other half to you, and would have the vanishing cracksman disappear for ever, and a useless life converted into a useful one, you have only to say so to make it an accomplished thing. All I ask in return is your word of honour, to be given to me by signal, that you will send for Sir Horace Wyvern to be at your office at eleven o'clock to-night, and that you and he will grant me a private interview, unknown to any other living being. A red and green lantern hung over the doorway leading to your office will be the signal that you agree, and a violet light in your window will be the pledge of Sir Horace Wyvern. When these two signals, these two pledges, are given, I shall come in and hand over the remainder of the jewels, and you will have looked for the first time in your life upon the real face of the man who calls himself Hamilton Cleek. "'God bless my soul! What an amazing creature! What an astounding request!' exclaimed Sir Horace as he laid the letter down. "'Willing to give up twenty thousand pounds' worth of jewels for the mere sake of a private interview? What on earth can be his object? And why should he include me?' "'I don't know,' said Narkom in reply. "'It's worth something at all events to be rid of the vanishing cracksman for good and all, and he says that it rests with us to do that. It's close to eleven now.' "'Shall we give him the pledge he asks, Sir Horace? "'My signal is already hung out. "'Shall we agree to the conditions and give him yours?' "'Yes, yes, by all means,' Sir Horace made answer. "'And lighting the violet lamp, "'Narkom flicked open the pinned curtains and set it in the window. "'For ten minutes nothing came of it, "'and the two men, talking in whispers while they waited, began to grow nervous. Then, somewhere in the distance, a clock started striking eleven, and without so much as a warning sound, the door flashed open, flashed shut again. A voice that was undeniably the voice of breeding and refinement said quietly, "'Gentlemen, my compliments. Here are the diamonds, and here am I.' And the figure of a man, faultlessly dressed, faultlessly mannered, with the slim-loined form, the slim-walled nose, and the clear-cut features of the born aristocrat, stood in the room. His age might lie anywhere between twenty-five and thirty-five, his eyes were straight-looking and clear, his fresh, clean-shaven face was undeniably handsome, and whatever his origin, whatever his history, there was something about him in look in speech, in bearing, that mutely stood sponsor for the thing called birth. "'God bless my soul!' exclaimed Sir Horace, amazed and appalled to find the reality so widely different from the image he had drawn. "'What monstrous juggle is this? Why, man alive, you're a gentleman! Who are you? 
"'What's driven you to a dog's life like this?' "'A natural bent, perhaps, a supernatural gift, certainly, Sir Horace,' he made reply. "'Look here. Could any man resist the temptation to use it when he was endowed by nature with the power to do this?' His features seemed to rise and not, and assume in as many moments a dozen different aspects. "'I've had the knack of doing that since the hour I could breathe. Could any man go straight with a fateful gift like that if the laws of nature said that he should not?' "'And do they say that?' "'That's what I want you to tell me. That's why I have requested this interview.' I want you to examine me, Sir Horace, to put me through those tests you use to determine the state of mind of the mentally fit and mentally unfit. I want to know if it is my fault that I am what I am, and if it is myself I have to fight in future, or the devil that lives within me. I'm tired of wallowing in the mire. A woman's eyes have lit the way to heaven for me. I want to climb up to her, to win her, to be worthy of her, and to stand beside her in the light. Her? What her? That's my business, Mr. Narkom, and I'll take no man into my confidence regarding that. Yes, my friend, but Margot, how about her? I'm done with her. We broke last night when I returned, and she learned— "'Never mind what she learned. "'I'm done with her, done with the lot of them. "'My life is changed for ever.' "'In the name of heaven, man, who and what are you?' "'Cleek, just Cleek. "'Let it go at that,' he made reply. "'Whether it's my name or not is no man's business. "'Who I am, what I am, whence I came, "'is no man's business either. "'Cleek will do.' Cleek of the forty faces. Never mind the past. My fight is with the future. And so examine me, Sir Horace, and let me know if I or fate's to blame for what I am. Sir Horace did. Absolutely fate, he said, when, after a long examination, the man put the question to him again. It is the criminal brain fully developed. "'horribly pronounced. "'God help you, my poor fellow, "'but a man simply could not be other than a thief and a criminal "'with an organ like that. "'There's no hope for you to escape your natural bent except by death. "'You can't be honest. "'You can't rise. "'You never will rise. "'It's useless to fight against it.' "'I will fight against it. I will rise. I will. I will. I will!' he cried out vehemently. "'There is a way to put such craft and cunning to account, a way to fight the devil with his own weapons, and crush him under the weight of his own gifts, and that way I'll take.' "'Mr. Narkom,' he whirled and walked toward the superintendent, his hand outstretched, his eager face aglow. "'Mr. Narkom, help me. Take me under your wing. Give me a start. Give me a chance. Give me a lift on the way up.' "'Good heaven, man! You—you you don't mean—' "'I do. 
I do. So help me heaven, I do. All my life I've fought against the law. Now let me switch over and fight with it. I'm tired of being Cleek the thief, Cleek the burglar. Make me Cleek the detective, and let us work together, hand in hand, for a common cause and for the public good. Will you, Mr. Narkom? Will you? Will I? Won't I? said Narkom, springing forward and gripping his hand. Jove, what a detective you will make! Bully boy, bully boy! It's a compact, then? It's a compact, Cleek. Thank you, he said in a choked voice. You've given me my chance. Now watch me live up to it. The vanishing cracksman has vanished for ever, Mr. Narkom, and it's Cleek the detective, Cleek of the Forty Faces, from this time on. Now give me your riddles, I'll solve them one by one. End of the prologue.